If you feel it, you know it. D-Rock Productions. Sports Talk with D-Raw. What's up, people? It's your boy, D-Raw. And I'm coming to you with another episode of STWD. And you already know how this goes. But first, I must say, uh, I feel for everyone in Louisiana and the Mississippi area as well. Um, I hope everybody has a speedy recovery. I feel sorry for the families that have lost their properties, their homes, their families. Uh, anyone that's been affected, just period. Um, I hope everything gets better. And from there, I want to talk about my Houston Texans. And if you didn't know, D-Raw was at the Texans' last preseason game against the Buccaneers. And in that game, to be honest, I when the game started, I was, I was kind of happy because... Um, we was looking pretty decent on the defense at first to me, but as Brady actually, you know, settled in and knowing that this is the first team D going against their first team offense, man, we just start to look bad. Um, Roby didn't play, so I'll give us an excuse somewhat for the DBs, but Hargraves, man, he's just not the answer. He is not the answer. Um, some of the other guys that played, I know they got cut. Hargrave should have been one of those guys. I mean, I've been I've been screaming this for the last year or so since he's been a Texan that the Texans should have traded him, cut him or something. He was a first-round pick, but he just don't have first-round pick potential, and it's just obvious. He's always getting beat deep. He's always getting beat on slants. It don't matter what route, he's always getting beat. And for someone like that, that means that you need to be cut, bro. And let go of. Um, Lonnie Johnson didn't play either. So that's another um, escape route for him. You know, he, he didn't get to show off what he could do against the first team. Uh, with the first team defense against uh, the first team offense of Tampa Bay. And to be honest, let's be realistic. We know the Texans are not going, you know, deep into a playoff. Uh, run or anything like that. We know they are in a rebuilding mode and they were, they was facing with the GOAT as a quarterback and one probably one of the best uh, lineups of receivers in NFL history. So you got to look at that. You got Mike Evans, AB, you got uh, Godwin and, and many more. And then you got several tight ends and, and man, it's just keep going. You know, you, you just that Buccaneers receiving lineup, man, is crazy. So, for us to have some mediocre DBs, I mean, I guess what happened it was expected, right? So, um, moving on to the offensive side of the ball with the first team, I was very, very happy about the way we moved the ball as far as running. I mean, honestly, man, every running back looked good. I mean, from, from uh, Philip Lindsay to... Um, David Johnson to Mark Ingram to uh, my boy Phillips. He looked great. I mean, even Burkhead looked good. So 
with them, uh, you know, making their cuts and stuff. Bilal, Bilal Powell looked good. So, it was hard for them, I know, to make these cuts. Because Powell had a big play, unfortunately. Kiki Kute, he was uh, holding on that play. But he still ended up making another big run. So, you know, just the, the moves that they made um, in that first series or the first two series or whatever, they look pretty good, you know, as far as running the ball. But my problem is actually with the quarterback, man. Tyrod Taylor did not look good. He did not look like I thought he would. Now, Tyrod is a quarterback that I've liked for a long time since he's been in the NFL. I remember him coming out of college, and I had real high hopes for him. But unfortunately, everything didn't develop the way it was supposed to. But one thing I can say about Tyrod, as I said before, is whoever sits behind Tyrod usually becomes a good quarterback. So if Mills sitting by, behind Tyrod pays off, I'm happy about that. Now, I don't know how soon it would pay off for us, you know, if everything works out with Mills. But uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful, you know, because it would be nice for us to find our quarterback of the future now and not have to worry about drafting a quarterback later. But, man, did you see how Mills played? Let alone, first, let me continue on Tyrod. Tyrod, he did do the correct check downs. Um, I know David Cully said they were focusing on running the ball more than anything. So that they did do successfully. I mean, you can't take nothing away from the run game man, at all. They look good in the run game, period. And there's nothing you can say about the Texans running backs that doesn't look good. Only thing I can say about the running game, man, is that they're all vets, you know, except Phillips. He's young, and he's really looking like a, a, a young star in the making. And he, he might possibly be the next Arian Foster. I mean, if you look at him, he looks good against the second and third team. But even in that Green Bay game when he got in with the first team against their first team defense, he still turned out to look pretty good. So... All respect goes out to him, man. He he he's gonna be a game changer. He's he's gonna make plays for the Texans, and I I really hope to see him getting some decent PT uh, soon in the upcoming future. Because I'm telling you, his future is bright for the Houston Texans, and I cannot say nothing negative about him. He has been grinding, and it's been working for him uh, so far, and I'm glad that. He was picked to be one of those players that would make the team. Um, now, moving on. David Johnson looked good. But David Johnson, I mean, we, we have to see if he can sustain uh, big runs and, and, and really produce throughout the season. I think David Johnson will have a good season if he can stay upright. And if you look at his stats from last season, if he completed a full 16-game season last year, he would have had a good season. No one would have been talking about uh, bad about David Johnson. But since he didn't play 16 games and things like that, that's why we talk bad about David Johnson. But at the end of the day, you just don't trade for a veteran running back for an all-star receiver in the middle of his prime, especially for what you got. Um, 
But hey, he looked he looked good. Philip Lindsay looks good. I think I think uh, Phillips will be a great complimentary back to Philip Lindsay. I think Mark Ingram is there for leadership and to honestly get Phillips uh, trained up and, and right so he just know the the running back position through and through from a vet. And I, I think he has the right uh, people in that locker room with him as far as running backs to train him up so he can be great. Um, Burkhead, I think Burkhead is there just for leadership as well. I don't really see him really getting PT at all unless somebody get hurt. But the thing is, with so many running backs on the roster, uh, as they cut down to that 53 still, I mean, it's, it means that uh, they have someone to, to cover if one of those other old guys get hurt, right? I mean, they call Philip Lindsay a vet, but Philip Lindsay is only like 26. So I really would consider him still young, you know. It might be a little old for running backs, but because, uh, you know, usually they say 25 is, is sometimes the cutoff for a running back, you know. Well, I won't say 25. I would say, you know, sometimes they say five years is the cutoff for a running back. And I think Lindsey's probably been in the league for about three or four years. So he's probably considered a vet, but he's not He's not old. And uh, Phillips, I, I, I don't know how old he is, but my guy looks good, man. My guy looks good. Um, now... Moving on to the receiving core, you know what Brandon Cooks brings to the table. You know, you know what um, some of those other guys would bring to the table, like Conley and things like that. But I think the receiving group is a group that is considered to be under construction. I mean, you look at that receiving core, you know they're going to make a move that the receiving core will probably be different by uh, September the 12th when the Texans run out there to play. Oh, yeah, I will be there. So you must down for sure be looking for me in the STWD shirt. I will be there. Uh, but with that being said, I, I like what uh, Nico Collins is bringing to the table. I just feel like he is not ready to uh, fully step up and be a starter in that kind of role, I think right now he's still a rotation receiver that will go out there and make big plays. And um, I think by midseason, you will start seeing him flourish in that offense. But um, tight ends, I think, will be okay. Uh, Brevin Jordan, uh, Farrell, Brown, and all those things, all those people, I think, will produce something nice. Akins, uh I think the Texans offense will be okay, but like I said, the question mark remains to be how will Tyrod Taylor, Taylor play? Will Tyrod play like the game manager we know him as, or will he be turning the ball over? Will the Texans have a lot of three and outs and things like that? That's what I'm concerned about because in that preseason game against the Buccaneers, the Texans literally had like 15 plays, man before they got in the red zone, and then they turned it over on downs. So you have to wonder, like, is this what the offense is going to consist of week in and week out? But also you got to remember every defense that we see every week won't be like the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have a top five defense. So realistically speaking, the Texans should be okay. Now, realistically speaking, 
I don't know if I can give my Texans still seven to eight wins. I will see week one how we look against the Jaguars. Um, I know Bradley Roby won't be playing, so we got to lean on um, Terrence Mitchell and Desmond King, which I like King. King has a bright future, and sorry as Hargrave. So that is my concern, but I feel like this. The Texans cannot go out there and lose to a quarterback that's playing his first game in the NFL in a regular season and a first-time NFL head coach. They cannot lose a game like that. If they do, if they do, Cully needs to be fired. Cully, uh, the, the defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith, everybody needs to be fired. If they lose that game, man, they got to because you just can't lose that kind of game. I mean, I understand that David Cully is in his first game as an NFL head coach, but he has a lot of NFL experience. He has a veteran quarterback. He got veteran running backs, a veteran offensive line. and The Texans are like the second oldest team in the NFL, bro. So, with that being said, like, they not lose that game, man. There's no way they can lose that game. They have to start the season off 1-0. They have to start out 1-0. So, hey, that's all I got on the Texans. Um, to redo my predictions on the season for my Texans, I will say um, I give us probably five or six wins at this point, honestly. Unless Tyrod Taylor showed me something different. Um, but as of right now, I just don't see the the you know the breakdown him getting the ball out quick enough him reading the field quick enough and you know just making making the right throws I just don't think Tyrod's gonna do that for us um moving on back to the Texans defense I actually got to talk about Shaq Lawson Shaq Lawson was with the Texans um the whole preseason he got traded in that trade for uh, well, we traded Bernardrick McKinney away for Shaq Lawson. And um, what we got back was a lemon. A lemon that I think had like 40-something snaps and he had no quarterback pressures. Or let some people tell it, they say he had two quarterback pressures. But remind me when Shaq Lawson did anything in his preseason but defend his boy Deshaun Watson. Um, with that being said... I think the Jets won that trade when we sit when we shipped him from the Dolphins. I mean, from Houston to the Jets. I feel like the Texans actually uh, did okay in the trade. You know, with the Dolphins now, everything is considered because they actually cut Bernardrick McKinney, which is interesting. But it's like we took on Shaq Lawson in a salary that is like I think. $8 million or something. So you take on an $8 million salary or $8.9 million salary. And then um, you take the cap hit, you ship him to the Jets. Now the Jets is only paying Shaq Lawson like a million dollars. So it's a win for the Jets. Now Shaq Lawson claims that he's very happy to be traded. He feel like he has his freedom back. 
And, you know, he just feel like a new man all of a sudden, right? But um, what I've gathered from other players from the Texans that's on the defense that play D-line and D-N, they say they have the most freedom ever. They feel like they have uh, the ability to speak their mind and and much more, you know, just they say they like the, the new organization and, and the players that's been there previously like the new changes that has happened as well. So whatever Shaq Lawson had going on, I need more understanding. If Shaq Lawson get at me and tell me what's the truth about this Texan organization, I mean, I know the organization is not the best organization, but I feel like the things that are going on that's transpiring now is making the Texans uh, organization much, much better. And um, so with that being said, I actually looked at Nick Casario uh, have a press conference today. And after today, I really, really do like who Nick Casario is. I mean, the guy really knows his X's and O's. He knows his map on how he needs to break down his money. He knows what they're looking for. He knows football, period. He knows football, and he knows it. He knows the in and outs from the offense and the defense, different positions. He know how to break everything down, and I love that. And with that being said, I just don't think we've ever had a GM that understood the game so much on different levels, not a, not only on a playing level, but on a GM level of managing the coaches and relations be, between the coaches and the owner. I mean, I think Nick, Nick Casario is that guy, and I really believe that um, within the next couple of years, this Texan roster will be something awesome. And you also have to realize this guy took on a team that was in the dumps as far as salary cap, draft picks, and the status of the roster. And what he's done so far is amazing. Yeah, he yeah he had a couple of lemons come in like Shaq Lawson, and um, and he let JJ Watt walk for nothing. But I guess that was out of respect. You know, I don't agree with it, but hey, it is what it is. But um, sometimes you gotta you gotta go out there and you know. You got to go out there for the stretch and see how things work out. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And I feel like he's just doing the right thing. And I'm really liking uh, the moves that he's making. I'm liking the cuts that he's doing and uh, much more. So, um, one of the major pieces that got cut for the Texans is Kiki Kute. You know, uh, having Kute for like three seasons now and that first season, his rookie season, he he looked like he could have sprung some promise uh, amongst the Texans and complimented uh, D-Hop and things like that. But then he goes from that to not playing and just sitting out a whole season, being a healthy scratch every game and just collecting a check to um, basically playing some last season. And then this season, he's looking okay, but... I guess just not good enough for the Texans organization and he gets cut. And once he gets cut, he actually goes to our rival team. He goes to the Colts. And you know what? I think he might actually succeed elsewhere. Uh, I think the Colts might be a good organization for him because right now 
that allows him to fill in for T.Y. Hilton. And if you don't know, T.Y. Hilton will be out because he's having neck surgery. And um, so far, it seems like this year is a bad year of bad luck for the Colts because they just can't win for losing. They get uh, Wentz back, and then Wentz gets on the COVID list, and then uh, T.Y. Hilton gets neck surgery, so he's probably out for the season. Who knows? You know, it's just crazy, but I think that the Colts will be the perfect team for um, Kiki Kute moving forward in his career, and I really hope that uh, his he has success on the Colts practice squad so he can get, you know, successful uh, later down the line into their lineup. But, hey, who's to say? Um, but besides that, you know, Cam Newton got cut for Mac Jones with the Patriots, and I just cannot agree with the decision of Bill Belichick and staff. I seen Cam play better than Mac Jones. I clearly seen him play better. Now, do I agree with um, Cam not being vaccinated? No. And even though Bill Belichick won't come out and say, oh, we cut Cam Newton because um, he he's not vaxxed. I mean, at this point, man, like, I think about 85 to 92% of the league is vaccinated. And they've been vaccinated from any point from August 1st up until now. Because they already know what are the consequences. And so Cam Newton was cut because consequently, if he gets the vac, I mean, it's, if he gets COVID, which he was already under COVID protocol, this guy has to get tested every day for five days. Every day for five days. And then he has to sit out, let alone all this stuff happen while he's in a battle between Mac Jones and himself battling for QB1. So, Cam, honestly, bro, like, you have to be smarter about things, man. You know what's at stake. You know what can happen and what can't happen. So, I, don't, I just don't understand why Why didn't Cam get vaccinated. He know he needed to be vaccinated, period. So, with all that being said, uh, I just think that that could have been handled better, honestly, I think Cam Newton probably could have been traded as well. They probably could have got a decent pick for Cam. Um, so, I don't know to say that Bill Belichick is an idiot for just letting him walk away or anything like that. But I think it was out of respect. Um, let them tell it. You know, Josh McDaniels claimed that, you know, Mac Jones outplayed Cam Newton and, and that he just came ready to play and he was ready to come in and ask players what what do they like, what do they do to be prepared each day, and just saying how much of a great human being he is. But he said the same thing about Cam Newton. He said Cam Newton's a great human being, but yet you cut him. You cut him. You let him go. You know, he said that Cam Newton couldn't help them win. He said that Cam Newton didn't play good enough in the latter two uh, preseason games or whatever 
etc etc I don't I don't know to really say I don't know what Cam Newton missed and what he what he played in you know as far as uh, the COVID protocols and how it affected him or whatever but what I do feel like is people was already siding with Mac Jones it didn't matter how good Cam Newton went out there and played you know why because Cam is Cam Cam has a a, a certain mindset He's going to do what he want to do. He's going to play how he wants to play. And he's not taking a backseat to no young rookie quarterback that just got into the league, especially for Bill Belichick. And, you know, the thing is, man, they talk about how the Patriots went like 8-8 uh, eight and eight or whatever they went last year. And Cam Newton went 7-8 as a, a starter for, for the Patriots. Um... And he threw, what, 10 picks and 8 TDs? But can you remind me of what targets Cam Newton had? And tell me what offensive line he had? You know how many times Cam Newton was uh, called to do a QB sneak or a QB run in a red zone? Because they didn't have nobody else to run the ball. They didn't have nobody else for him to throw to. But yet, they said all this negative stuff about Cam Newton. Now, don't get me wrong. Cam Newton is not the same Cam from two or three years ago. He's not. He's not. He's not MVP Cam. But Cam is not worse than 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not. And he belongs on a roster where he should start. And you know the perfect team for him to start in? If he gets vaccinated which is going to keep him on the bench or at home until he decides he's going to go get the vaccination, which is crazy. Kind of stupid to me. I don't know why he's just going to go get vaccinated. Everybody should get vaccinated. I'm telling you, go get vaccinated. Cam will be perfect in Houston because Cam is better than Tyrod Taylor. Clearly. I think he's a better athlete than Tyrod Taylor. He's bigger than Tyrod Taylor. And the one thing that you know Houston is going to do this upcoming season is run the ball a lot. And you know who's going to be perfect for that? Cam Newton. Now, don't get me wrong. Tyrod is a great uh, scrambling quarterback, too. But I think Cam has better arm control and precision and accuracy with his balls throwing on a run versus Tyrod Taylor. And why not take the veteran? Why not take the veteran Cam Newton? I mean... He, he knows how to win. He wants to win. Uh, I just, I don't know, man. I, I would take Cam over Tyrod. I feel like uh, Houston would be the perfect NFL home for him to try to go out there and redeem himself for uh, a season. And i just rather have him mentoring my quarterback uh, versus Tyrod Taylor. Well, then again, no, I, I disagree. I feel like Tyrod is more of a team guy than Cam. Cam is kind of selfish. So Tyrod is the perfect player to be mentoring another quarterback. But I feel like Cam Newton gives us the best uh, ability to win games in Houston. And I would love to see him in a jersey, in a Houston jersey, uh, let alone not only that, I would actually go buy his jersey because that actually gives me someone jersey to buy. Because uh, apparently DW4, he will not be playing for the Texans this year. So, that's my piece on Cam Newton. And now, 
This might sound a little crazy. The Saints will not be able to play in New Orleans for about a month. It's not crazy that they can't because, you know, um, the catastrophe that just happened in New Orleans and uh, surrounding areas has left New Orleans without power for a long time. And um, with that being said, I mean, they can't play in the dome because the dome is going to be dark. They can't play outside, right? And it just doesn't make sense um, for them to even play in the dome if they did get power and they're trying to, you know, get other areas um, electricity going and the dome just taking all the power, right? So the Saints have been practicing in Dallas. They've been using the Cowboys facilities to do all their uh, plays, workouts, all those things, right? And now they've decided that their home games are going to be in Jacksonville. It's kind of interesting that it's going to be in Jacksonville because, you know, Jacksonville will be playing games too. But I guess the schedule will work out for the Saints in Jacksonville because if it's just on a one-month timeline, that means the Saints should have, like, one home game, which they will play in Jacksonville the first week, and then the rest of the game following should be away. And I think the last game will be home. But we're not really sure how that's going to shake out or whatever, right? But my thing is, why not go play in San Antonio again? I mean, San Antonio, you got the Alamo Dome. It's perfect for you. Honestly, I just think the Saints should just go to San Antonio, period. I felt like they should have did that years ago. I mean, San Antonio is a much bigger market. It's going to have a lot of diehard, loyal fans as well. And the Saints fans not going anywhere. So why not make the move? Um, I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but... I think the Saints should move. They will never, probably ever, be able to get a new stadium in New Orleans because there's not enough space. And then, like, every 10 years, 15 years, they're going to have to renovate it because of all the hurricane damage. And, I mean, it's just a lot of different things that happen on a timeline that affects the Saints, you know. So, I feel like they should go to San Antonio. I feel like San Antonio is a great destination for the Saints. Not necessarily saying the Alamo Dome is the perfect new stadium because I would still want something newer than that because that was built in like 1993 now. So that means that is definitely old at this point uh, for stadiums. So also, this is something kind of interesting, but have you ever noticed that every time... Um, a team, and this is just in the proximity of the team. So, um, say, for, say for instance, Arizona, the Rams, um, the Falcons, um, whoever else had got brand new stadiums, the Vikings. If you're getting a new stadium, I don't know if it's rigged or what, NFL. I'm talking to you. I don't know if you're rigged or not, but, uh, Within, I would say, a five-year proximity of that stadium, within 
So either two or three years before the stadium get built, get built or two or three years after the stadium get built, the team has always been dominant. For some reason, like, they always get dominant. So people, that means be on the lookout for the Raiders to possibly make a run to the Super Bowl or uh, AFC Championship or something like that because it always happens. Like, every team, it always happens. It's like, hey, build a new stadium. Sign up for the playoffs. Get you a Super Bowl. Go to the Super Bowl. This is all the goal. This is all a dream. The NFL has put it in a deal because they want you to be able to pay off that billion-dollar stadium that you're buying. Now, you might think I'm crazy, but hey, it is what it is, right? Um, last but not least, uh, as far as the NFL discussion, Will Greer. Out of all quarterbacks, uh, the Cowboys have decided to get Will Greer to be their backup quarterback. They're going to definitely need him because uh, they cut Justin Gilbert or whatever his name was. Um, they cut Ben DiNucci. He was horrible. And then you got your starting quarterback in Dak Prescott that's not 100%. So I'm hoping that Will Greer uh, works out for them. Uh, Will Greer had just recently got cut out um, from the Panthers, and he, he got beat out by P.J. Walker the former XFL superstar, you know? And uh, it all worked out for him, though, because he had the ability to get signed by the Cowboys to be become the potential number two quarterback. So, you know, honestly, Will Greer was actually pretty good um, at West Virginia, and I thought that he would have a uh, good NFL career at least been a solid back, a solid backup. So maybe this is, maybe this is his chance to do what I always thought that he would do. Moving on, I got to talk college football. We didn't talk college football on the last episode because I don't know for some reason I didn't know that college football was starting last week, but. All the big games actually start this week. All the big teams mostly play this week. I mean, only big team that really played last week was with Illinois and Nebraska, and that was just a horrible blowout. Um, Nebraska always seems to disappoint. I don't know what happened to their football program. I know they had got like a hot coach, you know, a couple years ago, but I guess they might as well fire him because he's, he's not the answer. So um, let's talk the top 25. Looking at the top 25 uh, teams playing in their matchups this week, we got some good matchups, man. So, first, we got Ohio State and Minnesota. You never know what you're going to get out of Minnesota. Minnesota some, can sometimes surprise you. And with that game being um, on a Thursday and it's in Minnesota at night, look out. And, you know, I got to go for my boys, you know, the Ohio State University. Ohio State, man, I'm always looking out for y'all. I'm always uh, cheering for y'all. So, I know we're going to get that W. Um, we also got North Carolina and Virginia Tech. You never know what kind of team Virginia Tech is going to uh, bring bring to the, the gridiron. You know, it being at Lane Stadium, you know they're going to bring out the Sandman. So, you got to look out for that. 
North Carolina, I don't know, might get upset. Oklahoma and Tulane played against each other. I think Tulane will start off the first half pretty decent. Tulane defense has been pretty solid for the last uh, two years, I would say. Great defensive line, nice uh, inside guys and with the nose uh, tackles and things like that. Um, I see Tulane being able to challenge Oklahoma in the beginning of the game, but of course it's going to get out of hand. I just don't think Tulane can recruit those kind of players to just put a team on a gridiron to uh, even possibly defeat Oklahoma. But, hey, Penn State and Wisconsin, you know it's going down. And it's going down in Wisconsin. So that's going to be a great matchup. I can't tell you who's going to come out on top, but I definitely believe that it's going to be a back-and-forth game and both teams are going to put up some nice points. You know we got to talk about Iowa and Indiana. Surprisingly, Indiana, yeah, is solid this year in football. Iowa brings back another team that's been competitive. Um, I believe that will be another back-and-forth game. Or, if it's not back-and-forth, it would definitely be one-sided. And I think it's going to be one-sided in Iowa's favor. Um, but then you got the game of all games. Alabama and Miami. Derrick King comes out uh, looking for a Heisman kind of season. A season that he goes out to prove himself that he is the number one candidate coming out in the NFL draft. You know, him staying in for another season, him transferring from U of H to Miami and being in Miami for a second season. I look for De'Eric King to go out there and play big, but play to lose. <laughs> yeah, I just think he's going to lose the game. I don't think Miami has the team to beat Alabama, but I think De'Eric King will play amazing. Then we got Texas and Louisiana. Louisiana Raging Cajun. Um, this is a game that you actually have to look at and possibly question, will Texas be upset? Because even though the game is at DKR Stadium, I just can't trust Texas, man. But this is a new regime. You got Steve Sarkeesian in, uh, at the head coach. I hope he's not out there drinking too much. And there is a possibility that Texas could just possibly just run away with this victory. So those are uh, some things to look at with UT. And let's not forget about Clemson and Georgia. You got number three going up against number five. And that's going to be a big one. Because usually you see Clemson and Georgia in the grand tournament, right? You see them going for the championship. So, I look for that to be a back-and-forth game, man. If it ain't back-and-forth, like I said, these is, this is one of those games that always lean in one direction. But it being uh, in Carolina at the Bank of America Stadium, supposedly being a neutral site, I think it's going to be a good game. There's nobody, you know, really running away with home field advantage. So, I look for a good game. Now... Notre Dame and Florida State plays against each other on a Sunday. So, if you're really looking for some more college football, you be on the lookout. I got to talk about the American Athletic Conference. What kind of matchups we got coming out there? 
we got Houston versus Texas Tech in the Texas kickoff at NRG Stadium. And this is the make or break season for Dana Hogerson. If Dana Hogerson doesn't at least win nine games this season, I believe he should be fired because Reno Couture said eight and four coaches gets fired. And if he doesn't get 93 or better, Dana Hogerson needs to be fired. Period. Because honestly, if you're not getting 93, there's no fireworks, Dana. And if there's no fireworks, there's no smoke. That means it's time for you to go. And in Houston, we like high-powered offenses, and we like winning. And if you ain't doing that, it's time for you to go. Shame on you, buddy. Look at some more Houston uh, matchups. Must I mention that Rice will take on Arkansas in Arkansas. So, Rice and I have been known for his football. Haven't really put a good team out there in years. Uh, same for Arkansas can really be said, but Arkansas is in the SEC and they're just going to recruit better than Rice. That's a private school that's in Conference USA. Uh, that's basically an Ivy League school. They're just not going to beat Arkansas. But hopefully Rice can have a turnaround season and do something this year because uh, next week they face off against U of H. Um, some more Texas schools to be look, looking out for. You got HBU and New Mexico Lobos. And I just wonder what that's going to bring. Like, hey, Houston Baptist, you know, they're in like what their seventh season of football. I think they're starting to turn that pot and stir it up. Would there be an upset? What is the better team for them not to upset than um, the New Mexico Lobos? I'm cheering for you, HBU. Go get the dub. TSU and PV face off against each other. You got North versus South. You already know how that goes down. You know it's going to be a, a battle of the bands, and it's just going to go down all the way uh, from the sticks to blood on the field and sweat. So I know that's going to be a good game, but honestly, PV probably going to take that victory. TSU haven't been good in football lately, but I'm pulling for you, Tigers. Let's go. Moving on, man. I got to talk baseball, of course. We always talking baseball. We always got to get to my Astros. And the first hot topic with the Astros is Carlos Correa. Carlos uh, recently said that he'd be happy to resign with the... He said he'd be happy to resign a new contract with the Astros when free agency hits. But the thing that he also said is that it's not up to him. So I'm like, bro, who is it up to? I mean, you'd be happy to stay, so why don't you just go ahead and sign the dotted line? Why don't you go ahead and um, become Houston Astro for long term? My thing is about Carlos Correa is I think that he wants that 10-year deal $350 million, something like that, something ridiculous that he just shouldn't get. I mean, those contracts never work out, bro. They never do. 
he might be good the first two or three seasons, and then the next seven seasons, he play mediocre. He might not even play mediocre. He might be hurt. He might not play at all. And all that money is still guaranteed. So, if I'm the manager of the Astros, I probably wouldn't sign him for no long-term deal like that. But, hey, he said he'd be happy to stay here, but if they don't see him here long-term, then he'll go somewhere else. My question for Carlos Correa is, what does he consider long-term? Ten years is too long. Five years is perfect. I sign him to about a four or five-year deal and get him up out of there. Looking at the Astros, we are winning our division in the AL West. We're looking good. I mean, we're 78 and 54. We're five games ahead of the Oakland A's, who are 73 and 59. Um... We've been looking pretty good, man. I can't take nothing from the Astros. The great thing is right now is that Rikidi is returning, so he's healthy. But at the same time, the thing that does suck is that Zach Grinke has been placed on the COVID injured list. It's like, man, we can't win for losing sometimes with these pitchers, right? But it's great to know that Jose Rikidi has been reinstated. Um, and the Astros also um, called up Enoli. Paredes back up from the AAA teams in Sugarland. I'm looking forward, man, to the Astros getting hot. It's September. It is the perfect time for all MLB teams to be um, hitting their best stride, and the Astros need to be at their best because when I tell you that there's a lot of competition in the AL, there's a lot from the Yankees to the the Rays to um, those other teams, and and then, I don't even want to talk about just the AL, but have you really looked at the NL? I mean, man, you got like 380-win teams right now. Milwaukee, San Francisco, the Dodgers, you know, those are teams out of one of them teams that the Astros might have to face if we make it to the World Series. And I don't know which team that I would prefer, but man... There's going to be some heat coming out the NL. So, I'm just wondering if there's enough heat coming out the American League to win it all. And I hope the Astros got it all. And uh, I hope that we can show that we are the best team in America. And we can shut up all the haters that claim that we cheat, etc., etc., etc. Now... There's one thing that I said I was going to do this past weekend that I didn't do, and uh, that was pay for that fight. I'm so glad I didn't pay for Jake Paul and Tyron Willie fight. That was horrible. If you call that boxing, then you might as well call the WWE real or AEW real because that's all that was. That was just a straight show. That was so scripted. That was so whack. It was trash. I feel bad for anybody that paid $65 or $100 or whatever you paid to watch Tyron Willie and Jake Paul. Anytime uh, at this point Jake Paul or Logan Paul is fighting, they're fighting for money. And if you're paying for anything, you're paying to watch the undercards because those are the only people 
that's really fighting. Everybody else is just all that other stuff. Logan Paul, Jake Paul is just a show, man. It is ridiculous. Like I watched the highlights of that fight, and I watched Tyron Woodley knock this dude through the ropes, bro. Knock him through the ropes, but then it's like he held back, and then then they chase each other around the ring, or more Tyron Woodley chase. Jake Paul around the ring and Jake Paul was gassed the whole fight from the fourth on after he got knocked out the ring but somehow he won the fight. It is ridiculous. I, I didn't even see Jake Paul really hit, hit Tyron Willie like that and I'm trying to figure out like where are they getting all these points from? Where are they getting all these points to land this shot and that shot? I mean Tyron Woodley clearly was winning the fight but it's like every time he can knock him out he decided not to. He's like, he just held back. And that right there is what you call rigged boxing. Rigged boxing. And we just seen it with Mayweather and Logan Paul. It is all rigged, brother. It is all rigged. So, I won't be watching that. And honestly, I'm not saying that Jake Paul didn't put in the time in the gym and like he saved, like he claimed and all that. He probably did. But... He ain't in boxing shape. He's not in boxing shape. And honestly, I'm tired of watching Jake Paul. I think the only thing that saved them was the rig, the rig, uh, the rig boxing match. Because if Tyron Woodley had knocked Jake Paul out, nobody would watch it anymore. If Mayweather had knocked Logan Paul out and just finished him like he should have. Instead of stretching the, the fight all what eight rounds or whatever they fought, nobody would watch it. You got people out here really believing that it's just that easy to get in the boxing the boxing ring with a professional boxer. You really think it's really that easy? Jake Paul, Logan Paul, you're gonna have people getting killed because they think they can just get out there and box. It's not that easy. It, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and, and hard work, running, and all those different kind of exercises to be in position to be the best boxer in the world or let alone just compete against a boxer in this world on a professional level. So what I'm saying right now is, Jake Paul, if it's that easy, bro, Give me a shot. Yeah, I said it. Anybody that's listening, give me a shot. Tell Jake Paul or Logan Paul, I want my shot. Because at the end of the day, it's all about money, right? You you give me a date. You give me a time, a place. I'll be there. Give me six months. I'll get in boxing shape. I'll come out there. And honestly, bro, I don't got time to play. I'm going to knock you out. That's, that's that. I'm going to knock you out. And then we're going to end all this. Celebrity boxing stuff. I'm going to take my money. I'm going to take your money. And that's that. Because I'm tired of watching this shameful boxing stuff. Now, it might be good for boxing. It does give boxing uh, more exposure to the young community or people that doesn't, who or who don't watch boxing anymore and things like that. But to rip us off, bro. To just clearly rip us off from your for your bad rig acting and 
put this on TV and charge people all that money just to see y'all chase each other around a ring and not really box? That's highway robbery. Now, that's all I got to say, people. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Again, prayers go out to New Orleans and surrounding areas. This has been another episode of STWD. And I ask that you like, comment, subscribe to my podcast. I also ask that you uh, follow me on Instagram at STWD Live. And go like my Facebook page, fan page, where I drop all the updates that's going on with STW and our brand, period, at STWD Live as well. Peace out.